You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter. And now, over to your hosts. Hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number 25. I'm Rusty and uh, with us back today is the uh, full crew, the original guys. Greg over there in the corner, how are you mate? Yeah, good Rusty, yourself? Good, you've recovered from Sydney, alright? Oh yeah, just. Just? Yeah, it took a while, took a couple of days. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're old, Greg. Uh, pretty much, mate. You hit the nail on the head there. And and that voice there is Andrew. How you doing, Andrew? Not too bad, Rusty, and you? Uh, good, mate. Welcome back. Welcome back. Sorry uh, you didn't get over to Sydney and witness all the shenanigans, but uh, perhaps you were the sensible one, I suspect. I did see it took three or four guys to fill my place, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll leave that comment to you then. Uh, no, no dramas, mate. Very good. So, um, so everyone's couple of weeks been good. Yeah, I haven't been shooting, which has kind of sucked. But I've mm. done a few shooting related things. So, yeah, sort of getting there. Yeah. What, what have you done? Well, I'm in the process of finalising my rangefinder mount, if you like. Oh yes. Um, I'm updating or improving my stainless tumbling tumbler, and I'm. Just finished a couple of rifle cradles for holding rifles during cleaning. So, really exciting stuff. <laughs> You're looking <laughs> thrilled about them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's well, called it's Necessary Evils. Yep, yeah, stuff that has to be done. What about you, Greg? Um, What's the latest, mate? Yeah, I haven't been shooting, but um, obviously the shot show. But prior to the shot show, I resized some 6.5 by 47 down to... Down to six by forty-seven lap. Yep. Just ready for the, for the uh, load testing of the rifle. Um, when are you going to get that thing out for a shot? Oh God! Um, Got a bit of trimming to do first, I believe. Yes, yes. That's uh, I actually don't have anything to trim six by forty-seven to the correct length. I don't have a proper trimming um, cradle, if you like. Yep. Um, I've only got those Lee. Um, what do you call them? Like probe style uh, trimmers. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the de- gauge style. Yeah. Yeah, so I think we know um, what we're talking about. Yeah, and you, you obviously can't get those for six by forty-seven. So um, you're just not trying hard enough. That, that's probably what it comes down to. But <laughs> but uh, fortunately, you probably know someone that can help you out with that, Greg. So. Yeah, yeah. So um, Andrew's got some. Uh, what, what's that uh, trimmer called? You've got Andrew. It's a Garad. A Garad. Yeah, US mm-hmm. company. Rusty's got one. I'm actually looking at it right now behind you there, Greg. Um, mm. Yeah, it basically just uses a like a case holder. It indexes off the shoulder of the case. So, yeah, I've got yeah, and the trims in and trim deburs and deburs in yeah. three seconds. So. It's pretty good because that's part of my reloading process that takes the longest, I think. So uh, not anymore, mate. Yeah, not no, I need to. I need to invest. Well, I mean, you're ten minutes away from me, so uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's excuse it. to uh, catch up and discuss that's things. It. And by discuss things, you mean have a have a drink? I know what I know what you're saying. I was, I was keeping it politically correct here, <laughs> Rusty. But <laughs> hey, you weren't you weren't reloading ammo; you just trimming brass. That's exactly right. Yeah, and so. ironically, we we also actually I, f- I forgot before, but uh, we did a little bit of annealing the other day on some of your brass, Greg. Yeah, so that, that was really that. good. Yeah, so um, I haven't a lot of my loads are sort of getting up around the six six eight load mark, and you know I, I keep reading how how many positives there are associated with annealing. So uh, Andrew's got a really good um, annealer, and uh, yeah, 
used his machine. It's one of those ones you can just put them all in the, the carousel type yep. thing and you, they just, yeah. So we went went through quite a few. And, Is uh, that a bench source, benchmark? Bench source, yeah. Bench source. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, once you've got it set up, like I mean, we fiddled around a little bit to get it set up and, and get everything right. You've got two two gas torches you've got to get set but once you've got that done it's literally you just sit there and put the cases in and ready to go yeah it's it's good and ironically i've also just actually got all the the gas fittings for that to run it all off an lpg cylinder rather than the little disposable canisters canisters. tried it the other day i was thinking i may need a regulator but it worked perfect yeah okay so now it'll run forever really a lot cheaper and yeah the only problem is if you invite someone around for some kneeling and a barbecue, it might be hard to do both at the same time. Uh, that's why See, I'm, I've got I'm asking, four gas bottles. All oh, right. See, I'm asking the tough questions in life. Like, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the the, sort of the proviso on that is if, if sort of liquid beverages are brought along for a kneeling session. Oh, I was trying to go. I was trying to keep it yeah. politically correct, mate. I, was I thought that went out the window <laughs> <laughs> ages ago. Yeah, very good. So, um, sounds like pretty interesting weeks. I haven't, uh, I haven't, uh, I'll go in and out today, but I didn't actually go shooting. Uh, I went out and saw some people shoot today, but I didn't actually shoot uh, since Shot Expo. But I will get a chance to this weekend. I might um, load some stuff up for the Ruger and give that another another crack. See what else we can do out of that. Um, and a- apart from that, I haven't really been doing a, a huge amount. Uh, on sort of doing stuff on guns. I've been stock-taking and recovering from Shot Expo, really. That's about it, I think. It's, uh, well, we get back about a week ago or so, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then off to the Riverland tomorrow for a couple of days and, and then uh, out shooting this weekend. Should be good fun. Mm. Wonderful. Now, we had some questions come in for our competition to give away some Precision Rifle products at Load Right Kit. So, of course, I've got to do the uh, the spiel on them, and which is pretty easy to do. They're, they're a good little product. Actually, Greg, you, you would have played or seen a bit more about them at the uh, Shot Expo, I imagine, because I was standing next to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was pretty busy or, selling or uh, steel targets. Yeah, um, okay. Oh, they're, they're, they're a great little tool um, mm. with a, a whole stack of tubes to put your various powder amounts in, and so you... Um, uh, you can they're excellent for load development. Make it very simple and easy on the range, and means you can respond to your loads as you go along. So we've got to thank PRP for uh, donating a bunch of them for us to give away. So we've got three questions here about them, uh, and we'll choose our favourite one to which one gets the uh, the kit. So start off with this one. Uh, we had a question from Sean. Uh, who said, could you recommend a rangefinder that would read on a rabbit out to 800 yards? Any comments, guys? I, I guess probably like with a lot of the questions, it's a little bit ambiguous as far as without a bit more information, it's kind of hard to um, give the answer he's looking for, particularly as far as budget goes. Um, sure. Well, I, I do know sh- I do know a little bit about Sean's shooting habits. He does. He pretty much does shoot rabbits and the occasional fox, and he he um, will shoot quite a long, you know, quite a long way, quite comfortably out five hundred, six hundred meters on the rabbits. And I think he's mm-hmm. wanting to push it a bit further. Nice. Um, he uses. He's got a couple of different Seiko eighty fives in the varmint mm-hmm. uh, laminates, and um, and pretty much all the same gun, just in a couple of different calibers, uh, effectively. And um, so I, I guess what he's what I'm what I'm guessing from his question here is that he's trying to extend his range a bit further yeah. away, and and um, and so I'm not sure if budget is a. Um, 
is perhaps the the ultimate um, guideline for him, but of course, maybe we we we'll sort of recommend a budget model if you know of one, and then sort of mm. step up a little bit from there. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, guess um, I mean, I I've gone through the process of of getting not budget budget models, but I mean, my first rangefinder was a Leica LRF twelve hundred. Mm. Yep. And it certainly wasn't cheap, cheap, but it was wasn't the top of the line, and that was sort of lacking for me in a number of ways. In probably a lot of rangefinders you'll see, or you guys would probably verify this as well. The the aiming mark, I guess, the reticle, if you like, is a big downfall. Like it's mm. um, it's very you know, coarse. You've got a big square. Coarse. Like a lot of them use a big box or a big circle. Which mm. if you're looking at a rabbit at 800 yards at six to seven magnification, yep, that that reticle box or circle will you know, be many times the size of the rabbit, so it can be really difficult to determine what it is you're ranging off. It's funny because I said we'd talk about it here, but I did actually mention to Sean perhaps look at the SIG Kilo, um, and, yeah. and he said he had, but the reticle, exactly what you're saying, uh, was the thing that let him down for it. It was a, I can't remember if it was a crosshair, whatever it was, he said it wasn't really appropriate for what he was attempting to do. Is, is something that, might suit him better is a, a scope incorporated type rangefinder. There's a couple out there, isn't there? That yeah. Um, I think you had one at one stage, didn't you, Sam? Still do. I've yeah. got the Zeiss Sty range, and that went out a fair way, didn't it? I, I remember that was ranging quite well when I had a quick it's, go of it. It's comfortably done eight nine hundred yards. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that again depends on the budget as well, because that's not a cheap option. No, mm. it's it's it's. Re- uh, to be fair, it's ridiculous now. Um, that when I bought it, it was sort of hovering around the two, two and a half mark. Now they're around the five and a half mark. Oh, really? And yeah. I mean, they're they're an excellent scope, but that's a lot. There's a lot of coin to sink that's into. A lot of yeah, that's, to the, uh, that's a yeah. lot of excellent. Well, the the Vectronics that you own. What's that, Andrew? That with the fine crosshair well, arrangement. That, that model. Um, you're talking about what sort of dollar value or what model? Well, is it? what model it is first, and then what sort of range we're talking about? Because that had a really fine crosshair, doesn't it? And uh, yeah, it does. I mean, it's the the PLRF10, mm. um, which I mean, I've I've ranged goats well over two thousand meters with that. Yeah, and that has a has a well. I mean, that, the ranging capability was one of the reasons I bought it, but also the the reticle and it is it's a fine cross. Yeah, it's really so nice. You can put the centre of that cross and what you want to hit as far as, you know, same as you would with a, a reticle and a scope. And and from memory, just to break in there, from memory, did that have meaningful, like, uh, increments? Did that have mill increments? It's got mill increments, yeah, but I would yeah. say they're too coarse to be of, yeah. you know, value in, in sort of, in, you know, shooting, practical shooting sense. But, yep. I mean, that, that rangefinder was what I ended up going with because I needed more range um, when I was shooting out further you know mm. past 2000 meters there's not too many options but again i mean this uh this question the the sort of lower end range finders as far as once you once you sort of get over the four or five thousand dollar mark mm. a yep. big part of what you're paying for is you actually look at the the specs on the laser itself yep. and the the beam divergence is a lot less yeah i.e you can be sort of a lot more confident that you're actually ranging the target you're looking at rather than something before or after it because obviously a laser beam is it's not just a dot it actually gets bigger and bigger as you go out further yep 
And yeah. for me, that was a big part of the reason I was happy to spend good money on a rangefinder. Mm. Again, if if someone can afford a, a Vectronix, I think you know that level is certainly where you'd be handy to go for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you guys have seen the G7? Not not in the flesh, but okay. I, I do know someone that's got one in the US, mm. and, and he has been extremely happy with it. Because I think we all know someone who's got one here as well. Um, Alex has one. Uh, okay. And but it, I've not I've not handled it I've not played with it I'm sure if we get the chance to mm. have get hands on with it I might actually this weekend. Well, it it would also depend on the model as well. I think. Oh, okay. Uh, I believe there's a number of different options. Um, yeah, right. But I mean, the one that uh, that I know a, a guy in the US that has one he he said they're ranging targets beyond two thousand yards with it. Yep. Um It only gives ballistic solutions to fourteen hundred, but. Yeah, given mm, that the for this for purpose. the purpose of the question, it's probably not a bad option. They're not a cheap rangefinder, but they're no. half the price of a Vectronics, and mm. and perhaps hopefully quite effective. The the other thing that perhaps is this is a good a good point to bring up, and and you always know this, but um, got an email today from Huntsman Firearms that the uh, modern modern advancements in long range shooting volume two from Applied Ballistics. Uh, it has hit our shores and uh, is ready for shipping. And as you guys know, we have three copies on their way to us hmm. uh, now. I spoke to those guys and um, yeah, ordered three copies. So um, we will I'll hopefully get them this week or next week, um, and I'll get them out to you guys. That they will. The reason I bring that up is because there's a significant rangefinder comparison in there, and I've been hmm. sort of holding off thinking about what what one might end up with um based on on wanting to read that so that will be very mm. interesting to see um bit of a plug for that book as well it looks like it's going to be very uh very interesting good co- topics covered so um yeah huntsman yeah, i don't have them in stock and i actually listened to a podcast um what's it what's the podcast uh the precision rifle precision New- rifle media yeah, yeah those guys and uh they had the guy on that actually did that testing and he actually used uh, different targets with different... As Nick Vitablo. Ref- was it? Yeah. yeah, okay. And with different reflectivity, if that's a word. So... Um, sure. Like just trying to replicate fur and, and, yep. and you know, reflective surfaces. So, and then they had a, a really good range set up for that. And, and so it was a really well-controlled uh, test of many, many range finders. Yeah, it's probably a, a well worth uh, well worth a listen, um, particularly if you're going to get the book and encourage people to do it because there's good information in there. Um, probably worth uh, listening to the, the Precision Rifle Media podcast with Nick Vitablo. Um, I'll see if I can find a, 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 a episode number for you. But um, that might be worth listening to prior. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I th- and I think, I mean, I haven't uh, haven't actually listened to that particular one, um, but I think, given the fact that there's been some some you know well thought out, well planned testing on on rangefinders, is you know valuable information. I mean, I personally haven't owned that many. I mean, I, mm. I made the decision to, to to pay for the Vectronics years ago, yeah. and I'm glad I did. But there are other options. I think. Particularly, you know, if you're not looking at going really, really long range, they're probably going to be, um, yeah, just as suitable for the application, you know, that the uh, that Sean here has asked in this question. Yeah, it's the old uh, buy once, cry once sort of thing. But yeah, I know um, I had a sixteen hundred B, a Leica sixteen hundred B. From a pure range finding point of view, that was a really good unit 
for around the thousand dollar mark. But again, it's got that big square box reticule. What's so, your uh, your Bushnell got, mate? Your Connex. Uh, the Connex is a circle. Um, so is again, it it's uh, not for what he wants. Um, okay. Picking out rabbits would probably be an achievement. Um, <laughs> what, what but about- certainly, if you were hitting grass at the same level, yep. I think in good conditions, it should easily do eight hundred. But I'm just thinking in in those, you know. Australian outback sunny conditions might be borderline. Well, he uh, he shoots a place you uh, you or an area you know well. Um, he shoots down near Karunda. Oh yeah, yep. Um, and you're obviously fa- fairly familiar with that sort of area. Mm. So that's the terrain he's in. The Mallee's yeah, that can be really tough for a rangefinder. Yeah, yeah. in something like that, I think um, beam divergence is 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 critical because mm. if they're not sitting against like on a hill where they're got a backstop directly behind them you know if they're out in a paddock you can't be sure whether you're hitting 20 or 30 meters before or after them yeah and at 800 yards on a rabbit that that's a miss yeah yeah i mean it so from that point of view I, i'd be somewhat low to um recommend him you know the, yeah. the connex or a like or anything like that he really needs to up. he's yeah he's yeah. getting up in that more demanding area isn't he in terms yeah of and i mean the 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 g7 is is quite possibly an option. Yep. Um, and I actually got to have a look at the Vectronics um, Terrapin, which I think has been discontinued now. Yeah, I believe so. Even still, I did see one the other day advertised for 5500 I believe it was, Yeah. Okay. On, uh, on one of the websites here. And you didn't buy it? No need to. Oh, yeah, you've got the other one. But those, I did have a look at one of them. Where were you, Greg? Oh, you were probably in Sydney. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll sell a kid. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the ranging capability of them is good, but again, mm. they've got a very coarse, uh, I can't remember if it was a square or a circle, reticle. Yeah. It, it is not the cross that the... And they seem to all be focused on this not-so-far-out elk-style ranging mm. rather than precision, small varmint-type ranging. Yeah, and I mean, that's mm. th- there's not a lot of options. If you want to go, I want to pick a rabbit out sitting in a stubble crop at 800 yards... Yep. So uh, one thing I know you've got on yours, Andrew, you've got a doubler on your um, your range finder. Would that be a useful thing for for a bloke in this sort of situation where he's trying to find small targets at distance, even if he's got a box or or something like that? Would that help him be able to at least pick up the rabbit so he could perhaps range find next to it, but at least see the thing? Yeah, I would say it certainly. Yeah, it would not do it harm if it was set up correctly. I mean, mine, I. I went with a two power doubler only for the fact that anything more it it reduced it the field of view and I couldn't actually see the the figures on the readout of the range and it wouldn't be called a doubler either be a tripler or a quadler or something <laughs> quadler is a good word uh, just uh, just reference back to what we talked about before that um, the podcast with Nick Vitablo was actually prior to the name change for those guys so it was Precision Rifle Podcast and it was episode number 111 entitled Rangefinders Kestrel and Shot yeah so well worth a listen to that one definitely yeah particularly if you're going to read the book it's, it gives a, a good introduction to what's in there or if you've been trying to be convinced about whether or not to get it it's probably worthwhile yeah anyway yeah so in I guess it sort of in answer to your question Rusty about would a, a you know a optical doubler be of benefit on other rangefinders? Maybe, maybe not. I think it would depend on the reticle. In that, keep in mind that if you've got a um, like with the Vectronics, I'd a fine centre cross, but it doubles everything. It doubles the you know the size yeah. of it and the thickness of the reticle. Yep. So if you've got a rangefinder that uses a a fairly large diameter 
circle or square that doubles. So Every yes, it will give end. you double the magnification on the on the, you know the optic you're looking through, but it it will allow you to see the rabbit maybe. Yep. But it, I guess it also relies on the fact that you're probably presuming that the laser is centered in that reticle. Yeah. And it it, it isn't necessarily. It may I'm, not be. So without having done it personally, I wouldn't say. But not sure. Mm. Hmm. All right. Very good. I think we've probably um, not answered that question as well as we can. Very po- politician answer. I will just say one thing, and it kind of Go leads it. into the next question. Right. Um, we were talking, you mentioned briefly before, Greg, about the, the Zeiss um, dia range scope. Yep. There are other options in that regard, and, and one of them is the Burris series of eliminator scopes. Well, that's that's the next question, or the topic of the next question. Andrew, you want to read out that question uh, from, oh, I didn't write down who that was from. Half a second, I'll get your name by the time you finish. Okay, well, the question is, uh, I'm not sure uh, if you have, but I'd love to hear a, a review of the Bushnell, I think he means Burris, eliminator scope series one, two, or three. Um, I'm as curious as a cat to hear your opinions on this. What I've seen... Um, and read a brilliant scope. So and that was from Kai, by the okay, way. Okay, Kai. Um, so yeah, I, I was going to sort of mention it, but I then read down the list of questions and saw this. So it kind of leads in well from the first question. Certainly, what? yeah. Has anyone had experience with the Burris Eliminator scopes? No, not me, unfortunately. No, neither myself. We're off to an absolute flyer um, <laughs> because I haven't had much experience with them either. So what I did um, last week was to ring uh, Aussie from Aussie Reviews because he did recently review the, or a little while ago, review the Burris uh, number three, I reckon it was, in the series. Um, unfortunately, he was not overly... Um, no. What's the way? He was not over complimentary towards the the scope. Can itself. I just add that I, I think Aussie's a fairly accomplished sort of um, pro shooter as well. So yep. from a practical standpoint, he sits in a pretty good place for an opinion. Yeah, certainly, yeah. and he, he certainly does tell it how he how he feels, and um, and he uh, so so the Barris Eliminator is is like a, a integrated laser rangefinder to the scope, and and his uh, his comments. Um, was that the the scope was good up until about sort of four or five hundred meters? It was effective. It did what it was meant to do. It was not a bad scope to look through optically. It was okay. Um, it sits around the two grand mark, from what I remember. Yeah, the the the, the current one I think is about that. Yeah, and, and so for what it is, um, if you bought yourself a two thousand dollars standard optic, you'd get a far better scope. But of course, it's got a rangefinder built in, and and so his opinion was that out to sort of four four fifty, it was comfortable. Um, it would range fine and, and tell you. And it also the, the benefit, the benefit of the the other feature it has over say that the Zeiss Dial range, it will give you drop information as to where you should be holding rather than um, rather than just a distance, and it will tell you where to hold and where you go. And he just found that very unreliable beyond about four five hundred meters. Um, and he was having to hold high to get a, a correct reading. So I think what you mentioned, Andrew, about the the laser not necessarily being aligned with the reticle, perhaps was true and became more apparent the further it went out, as as it would. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I uh, without having having tested one, it would be one of yep. those things. I believe you enter like ballistic profiles, um, 
Yeah, you do. That. So I think it would be one of those things that if you don't feed it perfect information, it's not going to give you perfect results. So to what degree, well, you know, if you give it everything perfect, yep. you know, is it going to still be out? Possibly, probably. I, I guess it depends. Yeah, so I've never been a big fan of, of ballistic profiles because they're they're going to have a margin for error um, because they're a profile rather than being true ballistic data. That's mm. where I think the, the Connex probably is a good sort of bridge between those two where you can yeah. put a lot of data into it and it will adjust accordingly. Mm. Whereas this will you select the closest profile to what your bullet's actually doing, and that's probably why it's quite good out the four hundred meter mark yep. or so. Um, it's about where they start to separate usually. Yes, it's four five hundred. Just a, a quick point going back to the the first question, I guess regarding the the G seven rangefinders. Yep, the friend of mine in the states that has one. Mm-hmm. You actually enter the specific information yeah. from your load, so it's not just a. You have to select the closest possible curve. Um, yep, you actually you actually enter your your specific info, and that's that works well. Yeah, yeah. He said, I mean, it only will give you a solution to fourteen hundred yards, but they said it. You know, the range they were shooting just just on targets, it was spot on. I mean, yep. they were hitting very small targets at fourteen hundred yards. So, yeah, absolutely. And so that's where I'm, I'm always a bit put off by. Um, by that, but having said that, he doesn't clarify exactly what he's going to use it for. So if he's a sort of a comfortable shooter out to three, four hundred meters, and that's what he wants from it, mate, it's probably a a, a good solution. I will I will tell from experience with my uh, my Zeiss that um, it gives me good confidence while spotlighting out to sort of three, four hundred meters. That I, I know the drop data for the rifle really well. So as soon as I press that button, I get an instant reading on whatever game I'm shooting. I hold accordingly, bang, and it usually, hopefully, if I do things right, it falls over. But it's certainly not the the rangefinder giving me dodgy information. I guess particularly if um, if Kai is looking at it from a you know big game hunting perspective, unless he's talking really stretching it out long range, which then sort of goes into a different category. Yep. You know, four to five hundred meters is is a long shot on a trophy deer or something like that. But yeah, if it's okay. effective and reliable to. You know, at least four hundred. Yep, it's probably not a bad option. But again, maybe if he could give us a little more clarification as to exactly what he wants to do with it. Yeah, um, might um, allow us to kind of, I guess. I, I think answer. that's that's the consensus, and I have had someone else uh, locally here that that uses them and has two or three of them. Um, but once again, restricts his shooting to sort of sub four hundred meters, and so they they work very effectively for him. But not um not taking it beyond that, so I'm not sure it's an effective thousand meter get, uh, sort of setup. But it's uh, shy of that. It works, you know, 400 meters works really well. Yeah, and I guess if anyone out there um, listening has one of these scopes and has a different, you know, Have has experienced different results, uh, look, let us know. On yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we're all working on secondhand information for the moment because none of us have used one. Yeah, and I guess you're talking about you know the collimation of the laser in regards to the reticle. I mean, it's obviously with a scope. If it's relying on that information, it's it's extremely critical. Mm, and yeah. you know, it's not not to sort of deride Burris, but you know, if if Aussie had one that wasn't perfectly collimated, for example, that's a fair point. He yeah. he may mm. not be getting the results, and it's very difficult to test that unless he's testing it side by side with a known accurate rangefinder. So. I mean, I haven't seen bad reviews on them, um, but again, I haven't used one, so. Yeah. 
So we'll, we'll leave that out there. Um, it's probably worth Kai having a look at the uh, the Aussie video on it, um, and uh, perhaps get in touch with him, and, and you can ask some further thoughts from him. Um, he's usually really good with responding like that. Uh, and also, if, if it's going to fit the type of shooting you're doing, perhaps a really good option. Hmm. Greg, you want to read out that third question we have there? Yep. I haven't got my glasses, so let's see how we go. <laughs> you are old, I guess. Yeah, I am. Did you want to borrow? Rich. Did you want to borrow mine? I'll need a walking stick tonight, just to yeah. Anyway, <laughs> hey guys, I have a reloading question. I've just rebarreled my three hundred wind mag, and now running into some trouble. I have pulled apart all my ammo that was sized to my old barrel, and now I have done a full resize of the case. Now here is the trouble. Once I've full length sized, re full length sized. The brass, it still doesn't fit into my action. I can't close the bolt. What is the cause for this to happen? And that's from Alex. I've forgotten to put names on these. I've done well tonight. Right. So I think we've all got a take on this one. Mm. Uh, Andrew, well, jump on I think on there's, there's probably multiple um, possibilities happening here. Yep. And I, would, I mean, without uh, seeing it, it... It could be a number of things. It could either be the diameter of the case at some point on the case. If the original chamber was slightly larger in size and the die hadn't actually bumped the, the diameter of the case down, so it's jamming on that, or the only other option really is or the headspace. Um, you know, you can adjust the headspace on your case by the die you're using. So if the, um, if the shoulder was basically further forward on the case and hadn't mm-hmm. been pushed back far enough in the, and the new chamber was a, a shorter chamber, if you like, like a tighter headspace, a shorter headspace measurement. Yep. Um, that could be the cause of the problem as well. Mm, certainly. Greg, you had, you had no yeah, idea. Yeah, actually, when, when I um, took my rifle up to get rebarreled, the, the rifle I've been talking about through these podcasts, um, yep. I was talking to Jerome at, at ZCR Rifles and... Well, I was talking to him, the phone rang, and it was a guy ringing up about this very same question. And um, Name wasn't Alex, was it? <laughs> could, could have been. <laughs> um, but basically what the response was was that, yes, the headspace stuff would certainly be considered, but what Jerome said, like full-length sizing isn't enough. You need to run your brass, your old brass, through a body die. I think it's a body die where you bring around the base of the the uh, the brass just to bring in that right down near the base, and uh, he said once once you run that like the full length and the body it should go in a new chamber a new cut chamber, um, obviously paying attention to that shoulder issue which would be you know depending on how you set your dies on your old your old uh, rifle oh and the chamber itself yeah yeah and I guess it's probably worth mentioning. Given the you know that uh, that Alex has specifically mentioned 300 wind mag, the belted magnum cartridge is actually headspace off the belt, not the shoulder. So it's not really the headspace I'm talking about. It's more the length of the chamber from the bolt face to the shoulder, which oh, okay. in any other cartridge, like a, a, a rimless non-belted cartridge, is is the headspace measurement. Yep. On a belted magnum, it is actually the headspace gauge. It's purely off the belt. I, I really don't know why they do it. Yeah, that's okay. how it's done. Yep. So, basically, I mean, it's imagine if you will, it, 
the normal sort of measurement you'd use for headspace, the bolt mm. face to that datum point on the shoulder. Mm. Um, I've experienced similar issues with, you know, um, say, ex-military brass that's been fired in, you know, presumably, you know, the Accuracy International rifles. It's it's good brass. It's Lapua brass. Mm. Once fired, um, I've you know, neck sized only. It won't chamber in a in a custom chamber. So a full length size, it won't chamber. Mm-hmm. Run it through the body die, as you said, which mm. again, looking at the brass, you can tell this is a little bit hard to answer the question yep. um, precisely, given we can't actually see the brass. But often you'll get, in the case of a 300 wind mag or, or even a 308 or whatever, you'll get you'll see if it's hard to chamber. If you can get that round out, you can see marks around. Yeah, if it's, points. It, if it's yeah. on the you know if the basically if the if the case is too large in diameter to fit in the chamber, you'll get. Yeah, you see where it's it's yeah. come in contact with the chamber and won't allow it to, to go. Mm. Um, the body die will fix that. Or mm. you know, we we spoke a little bit before about this about small base dies. They're a little different. Yep. But um, I know with the Reading competition dies in the three hundred eight at least, they have a um, you know the neck sizing die, the seating die, and they have a body die as well. Yes. And the body die in that particular set doesn't have um, you know a a decapping rod or anything like that in it. It's just a basic die. Mm, so yeah, yeah. without actually seeing Alex's brass, um, yeah. particularly once he's tried to chamber a full-length sized round, it's a little bit hard to be precise. But sure. my, should... my guess is it's probably, like you said, Greg, it's probably jamming around somewhere you know, within yeah, about just... a quarter of an inch of the belt yeah. at the bottom of the case. Yeah. That'll certainly give him something to, to have a look at. Um so I've I've got another um, another theory, but perhaps not my own. It's borrowed, and, and um, it's interesting to listen to you guys talk because uh, perhaps this is all just uh, rubbish. What I've been told. So I'll go through what I've been told, and um, and I'm completely happy for it to be wrong. So I've seen this same, a similar problem, uh, same problem on on a number of different rifles. Uh, a couple of three three eights I've seen it on. I've seen it on a twenty two to fifty. I've experienced it on a three three eight myself, um, and a couple of the rifles. And it it um, it's happened in a couple of different ways. Usual story of rechambering the thing won't fit anymore. Now I've been told or led to believe that um the brass perhaps has developed some form of memory and not won't sort of contract down um tight enough to fit into going for say a factory chamber to a match chamber is there any truth to that that you're aware of andrew absolutely i mean it's there is brass is you know it's got a fair spring to it i mean when you you run a case through a through a die you know that you know, say a full length die, for example, yep. it will size it down, but as soon as it comes out of the die, it springs back a little. Okay. Um, yeah, it's usually it's it's about one or two thou. It's it's not. It's pretty dependent on the case and yeah. the thickness of the brass and so. But it, and yeah, it can be enough because what we were finding is that the um, uh, so in my three three eight um yeah that that sometimes the rounds just wouldn't close up and I was using I I was using two different types of brass um one was a Ruag brass. Uh, which was, I believe, ex-military, and yep. one one was the lapio brass. And the lapio brass was no drama at all, but it, it was brand new into my my now uh, sort of match chamber gun. Whereas the Rue brass I got once fired, and then was trying to put it in, and it just would it would uh, sometimes not close up, would be really tight getting out without actually having pressure signs. Then I had a, a, a 
um, someone come through for some training as well, and he had a three through eight. Same situation, had the same Ruag type brass, and was experiencing the same issue where he just couldn't. Um, he was finding extraction extremely hard. Um, it'd go in okay, it'd be tight, but it'd go in okay, but extraction was really difficult. He changed to Hornady brass, I think he tried, and it was perfect. So mm. there's no pressure signs, but it yeah. was it was an issue. Yeah. yeah, I think like the particularly on the chambering side of things, when you're actually chambering the round before you shoot, yep. um, it it all comes back down to the if if it's jamming, and particularly if it's once fired in in another chamber. Yep. Um, I know a lot of that Ruag brass was was sort of sold off some years back, and it was you know ex-military. Yep. Once fired, uh, presumably in the Blazer or AI rifles. Yep. Again, which have, you know, they're still within spec, but they're larger chambers, so they can shoot anything. Sure. Um, compared to a new case, which is going to be on the absolute bare minimum of, you know, standardised specs for that case, that should chamber in anything. I mean, if a brand new case doesn't chamber in a rifle, there's probably a problem with the chamber. That's Yeah, that's not what I've experienced. It's been usually the once fired and the once fired that's been in a different gun yep. or a prior barrel that then comes into a, into a probably... Can, can- can I just ask, with that that brass you had trouble with that was once fired prior? Yep. Did you run a body die? No, that? and this is this is what mm, I, I yeah. hadn't done. Yeah. So that I think, yeah, had you run that through a body die? Yep. I, I'm pretty sure. I think I may have even been there when you were firing that. It was, you know, somewhere around you know ten to fifteen millimeters from the base of the case up was where you'd see it jamming. Yep. And a body die will just bump that down. It's very minimal. But yeah. I mean, it, it just allows obviously so that, clearance. That would be enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and in then my experience, form. if it yeah. didn't, if it wasn't allowing it enough, particularly after a body sizing die, yep, there could well be an issue with the chamber being under diameter. Yeah. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, but um, what I've been told is is still true, but perhaps there's a solution for it. Absolutely, and mm-hmm. I think yeah. um, you know if you've got, regardless of the caliber, um, if you've got that issue. It's quite easy to tell. I mean, I've I've done it where, you, like, I could suggest with Alex with his three hundred Win Mag, mm-hmm. is take a like a black permanent marker and basically mark all around the case, maybe for the first twenty millimeters or so above the belt of the case, yep. and then try and chamber around. Don't force it hard, but when that bolt starts to stick, extract it and do it a couple of times, and you'll pretty quickly see if it's taking the marker off the case. You'll see where it's it's bearing where that case is coming into contact with the chamber. Yeah, certainly. And it obviously shouldn't. You need clearance on mm. the you know between the body mm. of the, the case and the chamber. So my guess is that's probably the the deal, probably yep. the issue. I have heard of particularly with custom barrels, you know, if the the gunsmith doesn't take the the chamber deep enough. Sure. It won't be long long enough if you like. Um on but that's probably a rarity. Um, particularly if you've mm. gone from a factory barrel to a to a custom chamber, it's yep. more often than not it's the diameter that's the issue, not the headspace. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. So hopefully, Alex, that answers your question, mate. So, gentlemen, we have to choose a winner. The time has come. Uh, of those three questions, what did you find the most interesting? What did you like? Well, I definitely like the brass one because. Oh, the last one we just did because it is a common occurrence and people don't know about it. You know, they they first get into rebarreling their rifle and and it's something that does, mm. you know, grab a lot of people and they don't really know about it. So I think it's a good one to bring up and a good one to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I'm in for that one because it's uh, I've learned something. So that's uh, yeah, I mean, that sounds good. 
I'm a, I'm a sheep. I'll just go with the flow. <laughs> I, well, like the was... I like the range yeah. finder question personally because, I mean, I'm it is a, good a bit question. of a range finder buff. But, yeah. I mean, the, the brass question is probably more applicable to more people. Hey, hey, they're all good questions. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Alex, you won yourself a, a Precision Rifle Products Load Right Kit. Congratulations, mate. We'll get that out to you and uh, be in touch. Thanks for asking the questions. Uh, we do have a couple of kits left over the next uh, couple of months we're going to give away so please to um, jump on board send us some questions that we can discuss and come up with either some answers for or some more questions for um, that would be uh, wonderful and uh, thanks for doing that to the guys who have now Greg was there uh, last time we did the 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 uh, shot expo uh, wrap up um, we were pretty wrecked um, yeah. we were pretty tired afterwards certainly were have, is there anything that you've thought of since that you um, you thought might be worthwhile uh, sort of mentioning or bringing up that you kind of went, oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that. No, look, really. <laughs> no, we covered it all. No, no look, it was a pretty busy show yeah. and, and I didn't really get to look through, you know, systematically through all the stalls and I would love to. I think probably the biggest point that we brought up last time, I think you brought it up, Sam, is that, you know, it's not just the gear that's sitting in the in the racks and, and, and on the tables, it's, it's the the subject matter expert behind the counter that you sure. really got to take advantage of. And I would have liked to have got around and, and like pick some brains a bit. I, I did on the night vision stuff and the thermal stuff. Yep. And um, I will get one of them one day, I promise. <laughs> and, <laughs> you, uh, keep, you keep I, threatening I, that. I, I've just got to sell a car or two and I'll, I'll, yep. I'll have uh, thermal. Stop but, burning those $100 notes. Oh, yeah, I know. I've got to keep warm somehow, don't I? But uh, <laughs> no, nah, look, I haven't got anything extra to add, um, Sam. No, no. Okay. I, I mean, I guess I obviously didn't attend the show, but yeah. um, one thing that I would have been fairly interested to have a look at was the um, Lithgow new line of uh, 102 centerfire rifles. They look, they look good. They look the goods, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they. I mean, all the reports are good about them. I haven't obviously seen accuracy or you know, feeding and functioning sort of tests, but sort of. Uh, you know, sort of in the market of thinking about a just a knock around hunting rifle, which is tough, and uh, well, you're not going to be too concerned about getting knocked around a bit. Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm really hoping that um, stuff becomes available for them, aftermarket parts become available for them as as a long range sort of option, big a precision sort of rifle. Because I'd love to see a Australian made um, rifle that then yeah you know, in that sort of budget and that sort of factory sort of setup. That mm. can then be modified and, and played with, and, and I know that the guys at Lithgow were working on uh, um, uh, something for uh, for future release. That would, I mean, the the action and gun will be all the same, I'm sure, but it sort of be wonderful to see that get released into that market more, perhaps mm. with a chassis or something like that. Yeah. Um, and also, the, I think we brought it up last time, but the guys from Oztech Arms really worthwhile looking into what they're yeah, doing with. Some- yeah, with their stuff, and I really hope that at some point they start making something for the Lithgow when it, when it does get released mm. because to be able to drop that Lithgow, which, I, look, accuracy reports aside because uh, we're hoping that it's good, but let's assume it's going to be good enough, um, and I'm sure loading for it will be able to get good sort of set up for it. Mm. Um, I, I'm hoping that in time, um, if we can drop something like that into a decent chassis, Mate, yeah. it's going to be a, a competitive sort of thing. Yeah, so, full Aussie setup. Yeah, mm. absolutely. All Australian made, which would be wonderful mm. to see. Yeah, and even, I mean, my particular interest in this this one wasn't necessarily from the sort of the precision rifle sort of side of things. It was more as a 
as a hunting rifle, yeah. which, you know, if I can grab a gun and go and know that it's going to shoot under MOA. Yeah. I mean, you know, most of my Good hunting applications are sort of 400 metres or less. Mm. Good enough. It's, uh, well, I mean, if you've got a gun that shoots under MOA, that's a dead pig or a dead deer every Absolutely. time. So. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, well, well and truly, uh, the guy that, uh, one of the guys that was on the uh, the Shot Expo episode uh, was James Chung, who writes or started his blog, uh, shooter-ready.net, and he's done, he's put up his overview now of the Shot Expo, which is, uh, yeah, really good. Um, there's quite a few topics covered. He didn't sort of do a comprehensive review of the show. He, he got around to the start, the stands that interest him, uh, so it's certainly worth, worth a read. A couple of things on there that I, I thought might be worth mentioning. Uh, is AccuTac um, bipods um, new product that might be worth uh, looking into? Um, don't go into details because I haven't got a lot of details on them. Um, but the other one uh, there, which if I turn around for a second, I'll actually be able to see. Was um, he got a got a little look at the Athlon app to uh, Athlon Optics, um, and I'm really keen to see what they. Uh, what they have, um, they're brought in by the same people as Minox uh, or Mino, depending on your pronunciation of it. Um, which I know you're pretty keen on, Andrew. Yeah, certainly. Um, and I again, I've seen you know, basic reports that have come out, particularly from the US, regarding Athlon optics, and yeah, and they've all been good. Um, again, it's a it's a product that would be nice to actually see in the flesh. So we can get a distributor here locally that's going to carry them. That well, there is, yeah. yeah. That actually, you know, we can maybe have a look at one. That'd be good. That would be that'd be wonderful. Um, the uh, the story goes that it's a couple of guys from or a few guys from Bushnell, um, who have then left and started their own thing under the brand of Athlon Optics. So, I I am hearing good reports about them, and and I mean, but that's the reports are from Athlon Optics that they're quite good. So that's what you'd expect. So if anyone uh, happened to play with one at Shot Expo or happens to own one. Please let us know because I'm really, uh, really keen on on seeing whether or not they're they're the goods or not. Would be good. Um, and we were talking about Lithgow a moment ago. Um, the guys from Lithgow are keen to come on the show at some point, so we'll be able to hit them up about some uh, some questions That'd as be good. well. That'd be fantastic. Be actually, wonderful to have them on board. So the other thing that was getting quite a bit of attention at the Shot Expo was the um, cheap fifty cal rifles. Greg, I don't know if you saw one of those at all. The oh, Cer- I did actually. Cerbos? I did. Um, Cerbu, yeah. Yeah, Cerbu. Is that the brand? Yeah, I just got to sort of manhandle one. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a break action style at the back. Uh, they, they do a break and a bolt. Oh, it's do just, they? There's two versions. I, I, I didn't yeah. see the bolt version. I saw yep. the, the break open and, and it's... Uh, Gee, it just looks like a barrel with a trigger hanging off the bottom, doesn't it? It's it's <laughs> yeah. it's a very simple, sleek, sleek design. Um, but ob- a, obviously functional. It's a fifty BMG for sort of under three grand. Yeah, which is, which is its selling point because mm. most of them are sort of ten plus. Yeah. Now, now obviously there's the bolt action model, but the the model I saw was the you, you basically fold back the stock and you can screw off an end cap. Drop your single round in. Yep. It's, it's almost artillery style. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> screw your end cap on and, uh, yep, fold up your stock and you're good to go. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. I'd, I'd love to see how they shoot and, um, yeah. See how Unfortunately, they go. it's probably um, something that's not going to be available to a lot of shooters in Australia, yeah, at least, anyway. Right. Um, yeah, it's a bit well, certainly not in SA, unfortunately. No. Not yet, anyway. I mean, we, not yet. Yeah, yep. we'll work on it. But, um, 
But I know a guy, uh, know of a guy in Victoria who has one. So I'm, I'm hoping once he's shot his a little bit, we'll be able to get him on the podcast and have a bit of a, a review of it, plus the other stuff that he does personally, which I'd love to talk to him about. But I know that he's happened to pick one up. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they go. But it sort of makes it uh, relatively affordable um, because I know the 50 BMG that. They had a competition, the first competition outside of the US for a 50 BMG shoot was up in Mildura not long ago. So um, that would be, yeah, obviously there's a, there's a market for it and there's mm. there's a growing interest in it. Yep. And I, I believe that uh, Daryl from uh, Meplat Services here in uh, he, South he, Australia, he, he brings them in. Yeah, and he certainly carries you know components and that sort of thing as well. So Yeah, absolutely. You know, I guess if you're uh, legally able to own and register one, Mm. Things are available. You can make it happen. So, yeah, certainly. Have you guys shot fifty BNGs at all? No, not myself. Only yeah you know, through the military. Yep. Um, so you know, obviously the the AI fifty um, yep. and obviously machine guns. But yeah, the, there's there's a market. I, mm. Yeah, I think if we can just get over some of these, um, I guess prejudices against the the caliber that some of the um, government departments have, we might. Uh, might see, see a bit of a yeah. yeah explosion in popularity. Absolutely, yeah. Anyway, that was uh, there was something else that was at the show that I thought might be uh, might be worth mentioning. So, very good. Well, guys, thank you very much for coming in. I think we've uh, we've sort of done it again. We've answered questions for the entire episode, and then sort of not really had much of a chance to talk about much else. But that's okay. I think we uh, we we talked about some of those episodes. Uh, episodes. This is the episode talking about some of those questions in in general, and we always um yeah gave Greg a hard time, which is part of the deal, which is good. Yeah. I don't think we actually mentioned the fact that he's got a deficient barrel for his uh, six. Oh, we didn't, yeah, no. didn't. deficient. <laughs> deficient in twist rate, of course. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. He he thought you said defiance. That's why that's why he got excited. That's what he wanted to get. But that's exactly right. He got a deficient. He even cut down to twenty four. It stabilizes. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't shot it yet, Greg. You can't confirm that. <laughs> well, I'm not standing down the other end of the range either, so that'll be hard. All, all your money ain't going to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> throw uh, cash at it. Just throw throw money at the problem. It'll go away. That's it. Wonderful. All right, guys, thanks for coming in. Uh, thanks for listening to everyone who's listening. And uh, thanks to um, uh, the guys who are sending questions. Please send a few more in, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, some more uh, chatter about shooting. Can't be that bad, eh? Cheers, guys. Thank you. All right, see ya. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter.